Hey Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 11th. Now, some of you may be asking yourself, is the title of today's podcast a comment on the socioeconomic conditions in the United States? The answer to that question is sort of, but it's also the answer to the current conditions on the ATP and WTA Tour right now. We continue to see a lot of the same winners week in, week out at the many events that have taken place early in the season. And some of that's a good thing. It means some of these young stars are beginning to break through. Some of these players establishing themselves as they enter the prime of their careers at the top of the respective men's and women's games. But more importantly, it means for us tennis fans, we are treated to some spectacular tennis over these first few weeks of the 2021 season. And again, I do want to apologize to all of you listeners. I know my mic quality, not up to our usual crack racket standards. I don't know. I guess our microphone is just taking a two-week sabbatical. It's like, I'm not going to work today either, or it is going to work when I'm interviewing players in the press conferences, which I suppose is a good thing because that's when I want my audio quality to be highest. But nevertheless, we do apologize for that. Of course, that is not going to deter us from delivering you all the biggest news from throughout the tennis world. And of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out, because of the support we get from all of you listeners, because of the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. If you are ready to kickstart your tennis campaign here in 2021 as the weather gets warm outside. Know that you can update your gear or get the latest and best equipment at our friends, MidwestSports.com. You use the promo code CR15. You get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. One last thing. Next week, I promise. I feel like the action slows down a little bit, at least in, with respect to women's game. going to slow down a hair before the action kicks off in Miami. I'm going to bring some guests onto this podcast to talk about some big picture things, but it is just me steering the ship one last time, or I should say 
two last times this week, as unless I can cajole Jamie McDonald to join me tomorrow. Probably just going to be me again. Nevertheless, I apologize for, I suppose, the plethora of my voice. There's been a lot of me on these podcasts over the past few days. I suppose that's what you sign up for in a Crack Rackets podcast. Nevertheless, I'm not going to get sidetracked. You came here to find out what happened on Thursday in the professional tennis world. With that in mind, let me tell you exactly what unfolded. And as always, let's start with the ladies in both Dubai and Guadalajara. We'll kick things off with the 1000 event in Dubai. And stop me if you've heard this before, folks. Garbine Muguruza continues to establish herself as a threat to win any event she enters here in the 2021 season. And folks, we had Again, I would say the matches Muguruza has played against Arena Sabalenka last week in Doha. It was in the second round this week here in Dubai, a quarterfinal matches. Both of them three sets of fairs, uh, three set affairs. They've been two of the best matches in this 2021 WTA season. And again, it's Garbine Muguruza emerging with a three set victory. She finds some of her best tennis down the home stretch to take a 3 6 6 3 6 2 victory. And advance to another semifinal. You look in this match, it was a tale of really two completely different stories. Through the first set in, I want to say, a half, Arena Sabalenka came out guns blazing. She was in that zone where she displayed the sort of combination of power tennis and then, honestly, her movement for someone with her size, her power, it's phenomenal. And she's got sneaky good touch. She'll throw in the drop shot. She'll move forward, hit both the swinging volleys and hit through volleys when she's at the net, when her serve is landing as it was in set number one. And you look in the first set she made, 61% of her first serves was 17 of 20 on first serve points, 6 of 13 on second serve points, but fought off both break points she faced. She was just playing strike-first tennis. Whenever Muguruza hit a second serve, she was attacking the ball, and she won six of the ten second serve points she uh, had in that first set, and that was good enough to get her the one break of serve early in the set, and she held serve the rest of the way. And again, it's the forehand, it's the backhand, it's the movement, it's the touch around the net, the power on the serve, the willingness to take chances, her tenacity where she just swings through anything. It's almost Andre Rublev-ish. Uh, in terms of a comparison, just the fact that when they're on, they're going to do their thing, and you know, there's nothing their opponents can do to stop them. And it was a phenomenal level of tennis, and Muguruza was trying her best to attack Sabalenka. And whenever Sabalenka would leave a ball in the center of the court, she would change direction or go behind Sabalenka so that arena couldn't set her feet and get her momentum into the shot. And, you know, she was trying to take returns early. She was playing plus one tennis. She was 11 to 14 on first serve points, just didn't make quite enough first serves. I mean, she was only broken once. It was a pretty clean set of tennis from Muguruza, but then Muguruza really upped her level in sets two and three. And in fairness, Sabalenka's level fell. She started making, you know, set one, I mentioned she made 61% of her first serve. Set two, it was 59%. Set three, it was only 50%. She became visibly frustrated in the match, and it's a credit to Muguruza, who kept attacking, who, again, it's the complete fact package, folks. Her power, her speed, her length, 
uh, her ability to make adjustments, her ability to dominate with her first serve. And in this match, again, she's 35 of 44 on first serve points for an 80% win percentage. Now, you know, to Sabalenka's credit, she was 35 of 50, 70% win percentage. But Muguruza, 14 of 30 on second serve points. Sabalenka, 13 of 38. That's the difference in a match where the margins were this thin. And I feel like I've talked enough about what Muguruza does well on the court. Again, in this match in particular, it was her ability to step up and be more aggressive on her return in sets two and three and uh, really continue to focus on attacking with her serve, changing direction, going down the line. And, you know, she's just, she can do it all right now. She's that confident. And I had the chance to talk to her and Arena Sabalenka after the match. You can hear their comments in the press conference on our cracked interviews from the presser segments. But the big takeaway, I just want to reiterate this here on today's mini break podcast, Arena Sabalenka was hurt after this loss and not physically, but just mentally. This match meant a lot to her. She's talked openly about, you know, the fact that she clearly has success at the non-major events, but when she plays the biggest names, the Osakas, the Serenas, the Muguruthas, she's come up a bit short of late, and she is aware of that, and she is doing everything in her power to get over that hump. And, you know, again, in both Doha and Dubai, she played a set and a half of fantastic tennis. But when you're playing the best in the world, you're going to need to play at least two fantastic sets, sometimes even three, to beat the best players. And, she just can't, she, or she, her own words, said she just can't keep the, her focus isn't where she wants it to be. She's not able to stay as disciplined as she would like throughout the course of a three-set match, and it's fair. But again, just seeing how much this match meant to her, how much she cares, and how competitive she is, I'm buying more stock in Arena Sabalenka. When it clicks, look out. WTA Tour because, again, she does have that top-tier power when, when she plays her best tennis. It doesn't matter what even Garbine Muguruza, who, again, now with this victory, 39-11 and 11 in her last 50 matches since the start of that 2020 season. That's a 78% win, percent win percentage. She's as good as it gets, and Sabalenka was taking it to her twice now in two sets. So it's just about, again, managing to maintain that level, but a fantastic performance from Muguruza. And again, 39-11. and 11. Are you kidding me? The only thing she's missing since the start of 2020 is a title. And now she's got a chance in the semifinals as she is going to take on Elisa Mertens. Mertens, a three-set winner herself over Jess Pegula, 5-7-7-5-6 love. Just want to quickly mention for Elisa Mertens, you look for her now since the start of the 2020 season. She uh, is uh, 34 and 9, I should say, in her last 52 weeks. But you look even beyond that. She's been spectacular since the start of 2020 as well. Overall on the year now, uh, since that in that time span, excuse me, she's 45 and 14. That's a 76% win percentage. She's reached the quarterfinals or better in nine of the 16 events she's played. Of course, two of the events she didn't reach the quarterfinals of. It was round of 16 appearances for her at two Grand Slams. She's been amazing. I mean, she was the WTA wins leader last season. You look at what she's done to start this year, made the finals uh, and won one of the warm-up events. Of course, she got a withdrawal from Osaka, but beat 
Garcia, Svitolina, and Kaya Kanepi, who was playing so well uh, in the buildup and real, really still playing well to that Australian Open. She then reached the round of 16, beat Leila Fernandez and Bencic before losing a 6-5 and five match. She really could have won against Mukova in the round of 16. Then here in Dubai, win over wins over Tomova. Three-set win to start things off, but then Rogers, Garcia, now Pegula, 5-7-7-5-6-love. Uh, I mean, again, you look in this time span now for her, even her 14 losses uh, Mertens has taken, uh, the only losses that you'd probably complain about is the loss to Heather Watson in the Hobart quarterfinal last year, which she lost 6-7-6-4-7-5. But outside of that, I mean, it's names like Osaka, Halep, Azarenka, Pliskova, Sabalenka. She, she beats everyone she's supposed to beat at this point in Look, it's funny because in her match today against Pegula, and you thought I wasn't going to talk about it. Oh, I was going to get there, folks. She led 4-2 in the first set and then trailed 4-1 in the second set. And yet it's Mertens who drops the first set, uh, wins the second set. She just did a really good job of making this match physical, of continuing to make the extra ball, of throwing a lot of different looks at Jessica Pagula, of playing behind her, of just changing direction as frequently as possible, not letting Pagula get in a rhythm and strike the ball cleanly, because when you do that right now, Jess Pagula just striking the ball so well, she's going to go down the line or hit big cross court and finish the point off at the net. And look, she had chances in this match, and Pagula you know, won, I think, 60% of her first serves and she, uh, 61% of her first serve points. And she won 26 of the 40 points on Merton's second serve. But Elisa Merton's, you know, uh, forces Pegula, Pegula at 39%, but 20 of 52 on her second serve points. The difference between them, again, Merton's was 45 of 64 on first serve points. Did such a good job, particularly on her backhand wing of striking that first ball, being the aggressor in points. And again, her movement, sneaky good. She just kept making that extra ball, kept stretching Pegula to the outer thirds. And Pegula's played a lot of tennis to start here in this, uh, in this 2021 season. And a lot of tennis really over the past 15 months. And you could just tell she wore down as this match went on. And, you know, she had a game point uh, down love to in the second set. And had she held there, I think, or in the third set, excuse me, and had she held there, I think that third gets a little bit closer, but Mertens breaks her, goes up three love, and then, you know, you could just tell Pegula was just physically, she was like, nah, I don't have it today, which is fine, uh, because she has been so good of late, and you look in the live rankings with her run here to start the season, Jessica Pegula up to a new career high of number 33, which is much more accurate. She has been a top 35 player over the past year. Uh, this was a, a fantastic, again, week and a fantastic start to the season, and I cannot wait to see what she does in Miami. But simply put today, Elisa Mertens looked really good. Again, she moves forward. She's comfortable off of both wings. She can change direction. She can hit flat. She can hit you know high loopy topspin to buy herself time. Uh, she doesn't have a big weapon, an overwhelming shot, but she can do a lot of the little things well, and she's always a tough out in Again, she was the WTA wins leader last season. She has been so good, a 76% win, percent win percentage on tour since the start of the 2020 season. And that's in over 50 matches. That's not in like a 10-match streak. She has won pretty much 80% of her matches since the start of last season. That's a really, really high level. You know, that's 
Again, level of competition, fine, not as high as normal, but she's been really, really, really good. And so it's going to be fun to watch her take on Muguruza tomorrow. Second career head-to-head for them. Muguruza beat Mertens in three sets in a U.S. Open first round that happened back in 2016. Now, they're both completely, excuse me, different players since that moment, but definitely looking forward to that one, Muguruza taking on Mertens tomorrow in semifinal number one. Semifinal number two, going to be Jill Teichman taking on Barbara Krejcikova. Teichman gets her first win in matchup number three with Coco Golf on the season, 6-3-6-3. I talked about both of them a lot yesterday, so just quickly today. Teichman had a read on everything Goff was able to do. She played much more aggressively today than she had in her previous matches. She you know, was ready for Goff's athleticism and was just a little bit more patient in the rallies, knew that if she hit that extra ball caught cross-court, then maybe Goff would leave the backhand or the forehand a little bit short, and then Teichman able to attack, able to move forward, do all the things she does well on the court. Goff's played a ton of tennis as well, but so has Teichman, and they both looked good in this match physically. It was a high level of play with Teichman, just a little bit bigger weapons, so she now advances to her fifth career WTA level semifinal 6-3-6-3, the 23-year-old from Switzerland up to a new career high herself of number 32 in the live rankings. That's where she belongs as well, in my opinion, given the success she has had since Lexington. Uh, But again, that is your uh, third semifinalist, your fourth. Barbara Krejcikova, who's certainly more known for her success on the doubles court than in singles. But guess what? The 25-year-old into the top 50 for the first time in her career. Now in the live ranking, she's number 50, but she's yet to drop a set this week in any of her uh, matches here in Dubai. You look for her today was a straight set victory 0-2 over young Russian Anastasia Potapova and Krejcikova plays an aggressive game style, right? You can see why she has so much success in doubles. She's comfortable moving forward. She wants to go down the line, look to be at the net or look to be the aggressor and the point on her terms. And you look for her this week, wins over Sakari, Ostapenko, Kuznetsova, Potapova. Now the matchup with Teichman. She's won a match in every tournament she's played this year. And, you know, she's gotten wins over Rabakina now, Sakari, Kuznetsova, Ostapenko. She's playing really, really, really well. And, you know, for last year for her, she was the round of 16 in Roland Garros that really got things started for her post-pandemic. And then she qualifies, makes a round of 16 in Ostrovo before losing to Vika in three. She makes semifinals in Linz before losing to Sabalenka in three. She's been excellent. And, I, I mean, her game style, her athleticism, uh, her her willingness to be the aggressor, her mentality, her confidence, because she has had success. She knows her game can work at the highest levels of the pros. Uh, it it just, it, the total package, it's working this weekend. So that's a really fun match, a fun contrast of styles between her and Krejcikova tomorrow. You look for the two of them. Uh, Krejcikova actually beat Teichman in the Ostrava qualifiers last year, 3-2. and two. Of course, that match was indoors. This one going to be outdoors. But I feel like that's enough on Dubai. Quality 15 minutes on. Again, a Masters 1000, or I don't know if it's called the Masters 1000, but I believe a 1000-level event that has certainly delivered the goods thus far. Uh, should be a really fun uh, semifinal Friday in Dubai. And again, if you want to hear from any of the players on today's 
from the presser interviews. We got to talk with Krejcikova, Sabalenka, Muguruza, and Jill Teichman. So be sure to go check those out on the Cracked Interviews podcast. With that in mind, let's talk about the action in Guadalajara. Unfortunately, didn't have the chance, just was doing some other things here at CR headquarters to jump on those press conferences. But a lot of straight set victories, I believe entirely straight set victories in our four quarterfinal matches. It was Cochiaretto 3-0 over Lauren Davis. It was Sarah Saribas Tormo 3-3 over Astra Sharma. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard 4-3 over Katie McNally and then Marie Buzkova 4-2 over Smadova for your matchups tomorrow. Cochiaretto Bouchard and then Saribas Tormo the number four seed taking on that two seed in Marie Buzkova. Those are all really fun matchups, and you look for Jeannie Bouchard, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. The confidence is returning, and she just has the weapons and athleticism of a top 100 player. Now, I'm not saying she's going to make you know another final at a Grand Slam anytime soon, but just her ability to you know make the extra shot and her ability to, when she set her feet, play power tennis, hit through her opponents, it's just there are a lot of things she can do on the court, and even when she wasn't getting wins, there were still flashes of excellence, right? Because we all know the talent Jeannie Bouchard possesses, but it does seem to be coming together for, I believe, the 26-year-old and, or maybe now 27. And, you know, she's played a really top 100 level. And I talked about this again. I did this whole rant yesterday since uh, the restart of the tour in August. Another good win for her today over McNally, who, by the way, should be happy with this quarterfinal result because if you're a young American, Katie, McNally, excuse me, with this result, you're back up to number 116 in the rankings, which is 11 off her career high of 105, but well positioned to certainly be in slam qualifying and perhaps if a few results break her way, get into the main draws of Grand Slam. She plays such an attacking style of tennis, but just, you know, Jeannie had her on her back foot and and Katie McNally will continue to develop her defensive skills as she goes through her career, Uh, but they just weren't quite there yet today. Uh, in terms of Buzkova, Cerebas, Tormo, Tormo, that's a grind. That match, minimum two hours, but that should be a really fun one. And then again, Bouchard, Cochiaretto, that's a fun contrast as well. Cochiaretto, really successful uh, to, at the start of the restart last year on the clay. Nice to see her have some hard court success as well. That's your WTA action. Let's move on now to the ATP Tour, and we got to start with Federer, right? Because Roger Federer knocked out today in three sets in Doha by Nicolas Basilashvili, 3-6-6-1-7-5. Now, just quickly on Basilashvili, he's now 9-19 since the start of the 2020 season. Hasn't exactly faced a gauntlet in terms of his opponents either. He has losses to guys like Mario Villa Martinez and you know, uh, he's got a loss to Norbert Gambos, Federico Del Bonis, and Fernando Verdasco. And, you know, even his wins, he's getting by by the scrape of his teeth. But And, you know, he's got a bunch of off-court issues as well. And that being said, he played pretty well today. He did what you have to do against an ailing Roger Federer, who clearly physically was hurting after his three-set match and uh, in the prior round. And... You know, still was serving pretty well in today's match, and you looked for him in terms of, you know, he was able to get the one break of serve he needed, hold serve through that first set, take it 6-3. When Vasilevsky got the break in the second, he was running away with that set immediately, and it was a 6-1 second set for Vasilevsky. But then Federer faced a bunch of break points and was in trouble in a bunch of his service games. 
in the third set. And, you know, Basilashvili continued to make a bunch of balls. And he, you know, much like uh, Muguruza, you know, kept going behind Federer and, you know, kept trying to get Federer to stop and switch directions. And that's the hardest thing to do, right, as you're trying to refine your footing. But Federer was up to the challenge. And, you know, Federer served himself out of a ton of tough situations. And you look for him today, he made 69% of his first serves, won 67% of those points, 50% on second serves, fought off seven of the 10 break points he faced. Those are all fine numbers. They're not great, but they're fine for a second match back in about a year. But look, Bashlashvili won 77% of his first serve points, 50% of his second serve points. And fought off four of the five break points he faced. He, you know, did a really good job of protecting his serve. And again, no one has ever accused Nicholas Bashlesvili of lacking in power. And I just think, you know, that that power really forced Federer to be stretched. And again, if you're a Fed fan, the takeaway from these first two matches is for a guy who hasn't played in a year and is 39 years old and has had a bunch of surgeries, he still looks unfreaking believable. And he's still Roger freaking Federer. Just give him some time to get his legs under him and, you know, just become match tough. But he's still got the goods. Uh, if you're a Bas- you know, again, he struggled on the Basilashvili uh, first serve because he hits that slice backhand return. Basilashvili was so aggressive with the plus one ball and the shots were landing for him today. But that's always been the Roger Federer issue, uh, especially in his career, late in his career. And so nothing's changed on that front. That being said, I thought he looked pretty good in Doha this week, given the layoff he had. Nevertheless, Bastion too good today. He advances. Fun note about Roger Federer from Bastion Fashan, fan of the uh, fan, friend of the program. Twenty-five percent of Federer's losses since the start of 2017 have come from up match points, and that's seven of the 27, so about 25%. Happened against Donskoy in Dubai 2017, Haas Stuttgart 2017, Del Potro Indian Wells 2018, Anderson Wimbledon 2018, Team Madrid 2019, Djokovic Wimbledon 2019, and then Basilish, excuse me, Doha 2021. That is just interesting. Speaks to the thin margins in professional tennis. But again, uh, Basilashvili knocking off Federer in three. We only had three quarterfinal matches because somehow Andre Rublev's going to end up in the semifinals of this tournament without having played a match. He got a withdraw in his round of 16 after getting a bye in the first round. He gets a withdraw from last week's Rotterdam finalist, Fucevic, in the quarterfinals. So now he's in the semifinals, going to take on uh, Roberto Bautista, a goot who... Again, this was one of the matches of the year. 7-6-2-6-6-4. That's not hyperbole over Dominic Team with the victory. Bautista Gut reaches the 40th career tour-level semifinal of his career. Just for some comparisons, you know, who do you think is better at their peak? David Goffin or Roberto Bautista Gut? You probably say David Goffin, right? Well, I mentioned RBA, 40 career semifinals. Goffin only 30. Well, what about Dimitrov versus RBA? Dimitrov, year-end title champion, a uh, year-end finals champion and Grand Slam semifinalist. Certainly, he's made more than Bautista Gut. Well, actually, Bautista Gut, again, at 40. Dimitrov's at 37. You look at some of the other numbers. Fonini, 39. Ranich, 41. Simone, 51. Isner, 54, Songa, 46, you know, I believe Gasquet was at 64, Monfils at 63. So 
RBA, you ask anyone. If you could have RBA's career, you say yes. If you want to be a professional tennis player, he's been that good. And, you know, again, just match against team, it just was so physical. And every time I watch Dominic team, I just don't understand how it's real life because his combination of size, speed, and just every ball, a shotgun off of his racket, it's, it's incredible. But, you know, Bautista Gut was so patient in this match. He was comfortable being three feet behind the baseline and just using the pace, the heaviness of Team's ball, absorbing that pace, redirecting it. Whenever he got an on-the-run forehand, that's when he was at his most dangerous. He was just fantastic today, absolutely fantastic. And it makes sense. He's coming off of that final from two weeks ago. Yeah, he lost first round last week, but he got his week of rest. And he's played some fantastic tennis Knocked off Dominic Team today, who I actually thought played pretty well. Uh, and should, I know it hasn't been the best stretch for him since the Australian Open and really just to start the season. But I thought today's victory had more to do about RBA than anything Team was doing wrong. RBA was just so good on the run and so creative. And, you know, in that final game, uh, he or in the game he breaks, he hits its love 30, it's this backhand return and is like and just gets compromised in the center of the court. And it's like, I guess I gotta move in behind him. and then he hits this, you know, in the middle of the court, dropping uh this forehand volley drive through the court. It was just an incredible volley. It's such a tough one if you're a tennis player, you and you see the shot, you'll be like, I can't believe he made that. And he did, and that was just the sort of day he had. So fantastic victory for him. That a really good win for Taylor Fritz. It was a weird match against Denis Shapovalov. It always seems to get weird when it's Fritz versus Shapovalov. Fritz, 5-7-6-3-7-5 victory. He actually served for the win, up 5-4 in the third. Had two match points, up 40-15. But Shapovalov came up with this ridiculous down-the-line backhand. And then, you know, again, just put returns on the body of Fritz. Got him stretched. Now, Fritz continues to move a little bit better with every passing match and anticipate, a, you know, he continues to anticipate well now. Whenever he gets a clean look at the ball, he is so good at striking it cleanly, so good at taking control of the point. But, I mean, again, for Taylor Fritz in this match, you look at the things he was able to do well, made 71% of his first serves, was 57 of 72 on those first serve points. That was 14 of 30 on the second serve, but... When you're making 71% of your first serves, that's all right. And, you know, Chapo, to his credit, you know, when he was able to play plus one tennis, get Fritz stretch, he was 42 of 51 on his first serve points. The difference, you know, again, Fritz had 72 first serve points. Chapovalov uh, only had 51, as he was 51 of 82, which 62% on the first serve is good. But Taylor Fritz was just great today. And there were, I think, five breaks of serve in this match. They traded breaks in that third set. But other than that, it was a pretty clean uh, match of tennis. And I have to say, an eye test thing, Shapovalov continues to – this is a weird thing, but he looks ripped. Like, he's jacked. Uh, he's continuing to do the off-court work, and physically he looks better and better. This was a high level of tennis, quality of tennis, and I just think – you know, Fritz always matches up with lefties because his backhand is as pure of a backhand as you're going to find on tour. And he hit, when in the game he broke Shapovalov in the third set, he stepped up and hit this cross-court backhand in the five-all game. I think it was the five-all love 15 point, or maybe it was the love, I think it was the love 15 point. He hits this cross-court backhand winner. Shapovalov's like, how does he do that? And he's right because... Again, that's just sort of the gumption Fritz has. He's a big match, big point, big moment sort of player. 
Um, and sometimes that comes back to bite him. And, you know, for him in this event, he was 17 and 18 since the start of the 2020 season coming into this event. He's now 21 and 18 and gets a much needed semifinal result. But again, when it, when the serve is landing, when he's moving well, his first serve can be dominant. It can be elite. And again, when he's able to strike the ball cleanly, the talent is there in terms of ball strikers. It's as pure as it gets. And the volleys slowly but surely get a little bit better with each passing match, as does the movement. And, you know, this was a really big win for him. And this was a fun match. It was a testy match in the right sort of ways. So Fritz advances to set up the semifinal with Basilashvili. You look uh, for them. Fritz beat Basilashvili in three sets all the way back in 2017 in their one head-to-head matchup in their careers. So that should be a fun, hard-hitting battle. And then again, in the uh, Andre Rublev, Roberto Bautista, a good semifinal. That's matchup number five for them. Bautista Agut beat Rublev in both 2018 and 2015. Rublev beat RBA at the end of 2019 in Davis Cup play and then at the end of last season on the clay. But, you know, you lean Rublev, right? He hasn't played a match in a week, but he's coming off of a tournament victory. It's hilarious that he hasn't played a match this week and he's going to end up in the final, probably win this event. Um, but yeah, that should be a fun one. Certainly RBA has the confidence, has the speed. And, you know, again, he's going to want to, anytime Rublev hits an inside out forehand, inside out, inside in combo, you know, sometimes Rublev, it's just too good, but that RBA wants to hit that on the run backhand and then that on the run forehand behind you down the line as well. That's one of his favorite, if not maybe his favorite shot. So that's a fun match. Should be a fun day of action in Doha in Marseille, we have our quarterfinals set as well as we had four round of 16 matches yesterday. Top seeds, Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, both advancing in straight sets. Medvedev, 6-2, 6-4 over Igor Gerasimov, Stefano Tsitsipas, 2-3 over Luka Pui. You look now for Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, I mean, he, look, I mean, he's, I think it's since the start... Of the 2020 season, he's 30. Oh, no, no. Since he lost a match to Alias Bedene last year in Marseille, uh, in Rotterdam, he's 36 and 13. The only losses that aren't to guys named Medvedev, Nadal, team, or, you know, I guess Yannick Sinner, Rublev, Djokovic. Uh, the bad loss was the Chorch one at the U.S. Open, right, where he had the match points. But otherwise, it was a semifinal loss to Rayonich or lost to, like, guys like Djokovic or, you know, he lost 7 6 6 7 7 6 to Umber in Paris. If you watch that match, you know how well Umber was playing at the end of last season. That was a pick em. You know, he lost two or final matches in three sets to Team and Nadal. Okay, fine. Um, the loss to Medvedev at the Australian Open. Okay, fine. Uh, he's been outstanding of late. I mean, he just doesn't lose anymore to players he's not supposed to lose to. And even when he does, he puts up a fight. So not a shock to see him uh, advance here again to the quarterfinals in Marseille. And now he's going to take on Pierre Uz Herbert, who, you know, he can just do a little bit of everything. And I, you can understand why he wants to play so much singles, because as good as he is in doubles, he really is good in singles. And his aggression, particularly on indoor hard courts, that game style, his willingness to go down the line, move forward behind it. He took it to Cam Nori, 6-3, uh, to advance. And by the way, Medvedev looked really good in his 2-4 and four victory over Jarosimov as well. Your final quarterfinalist, Arthur Rinderneck, 
the former A&M All-American, 366162. He advances over Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. The big number for him today was 39 of 54 on first serve points. Now, 8 of 21 on second serve points, but when you're making 68% of your first serves and you're winning all but six of your first serve points, that's usually good enough to get the job done. He faced two, saved two of the three break points he faced, was aggressive when the opportunities presented themselves. He played a decisive match, and now he's into the first ATP-level quarterfinal of his career, where he's going to take on Ugo Umber, and that's going to be a tricky test for him tomorrow. And just look across the board. A really fun match. It's a bunch of fun players still alive in Marseille. I mentioned Daniil Medvedev. He's taken out Yannick Sinner. That's probably just your match of the day, period, across men's or women's tennis. You also have Tsitsipas, Air Bear, Umber Rinderneck, and then Karen Hachinov, or Kachinov, as we like to call him here, taking on qualifier Matthew Ebden. Final ATP event I'm going to talk about today, and again, I'm going to save the challengers for next week with David Gertler as well as hopefully get Judson back on the show for some ITF tour talk. But four round of 16 matches in the books. I believe all of them straight set affairs. You look, it was Christian Guerin straight sets over Alejandro Tabilo. He looked much better today in his debut match in Santiago than he did last week where he lost his first round. You also had Daniel Galan, whose forehand just works. Uh, he knocked off Pablo Andahar 6176. Sorry, I have more on Galan, but don't want to give you too much of me monologuing. Also won Pablo Varias 4 and 6 over Correa, Roberto Carbeas Benya, ending the run of the Surandolos. Juan Manuel knocked out 626 Love in the round of 16. That sets up your quarterfinals tomorrow. It's Bagnus Jir, Delbanis versus Rune, Christian Guerin versus Juan Pablo Varias, and then Daniel Galan versus Roberto Carbeas Benya. Should be a fantastic day of tennis. And of course, if you have missed anything from the course of this week, so many events going on, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, we recently launched our picks pool with our friends at Midwest Sports. If you win, want to get in on the action each and every day, give yourself a chance to win a free $25 gift card from our friends at Midwest Sports. You can find out all of the sign-up details on our website, crackrackets.com. You just have to submit one winner. Each and every day, if that person hits, and at the end of the month, you have the most points accumulated of all the people in the picks pool, you will win that gift card. So again, sign up details on our website, crackrackets.com, where you'll find all of our podcasts. And as always, I will ask you, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, where you have from the presser segments all week long. We also have the two Carolina head coaches, women's head coach Brian Calvis, men's head coach Sam Paul. On the Great Shot Podcast, David Gertler and I talk challengers, Matt Stachowiak, Chris Halioris, and I talk college tennis. We're rocking and rolling here at Crack Rackets. So again, you need those more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel West, of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports. You know the deal. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here, at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Greskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.